All right, back to why Star Wars, the new ones, suck. <laughs> um. <laughs> a favorite topic of mine. So you guys, uh, you both finished watching Kenobi recently? Yes. Yeah. Um, thoughts? I didn't watch it at all, so I want to know what you guys thought. Uh, that might have been a good decision. I don't know. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> probably. I think, um, yeah, actually, in pre- preparation for this podcast uh we were talking about star wars and i i recently remembered like yeah i that's right i I finished the kenobi series and so mark one is that it's kind of forgettable (laughs) yeah um the thing that struck me and this was kind of a this is a trend in the recent star wars movies is um it it just i was really disappointed in uh their approach to the obi-wan character because it just seemed like they wanted to make him a buffoon. Mm. Uh, and so in the series, he's kind of constantly being pushed around by other people. And I think this is an effort, <clears throat> from what I can tell, an effort to kind of tear down the old ways in order to build up the new, right? And yeah. so, you know, there's a couple of characters in the Obi-Wan uh, Kenobi series where you could tell that they're setting up their stories. And so they're kind of using Obi-Wan as a, um, a vehicle mm. uh, to capture Star Wars fans and then hand it off to another generation. Interesting. And so there's, in my mind, there's kind of a lack of respect for like the source material in treating, because Obi-Wan is a beloved character. He's, you know, the wise wizard archetype. Mm-hmm. And just to see him kind of, you know, fumbling around uh, in this series was just really disappointing. And this is like, again, an issue at large with the um, recent Star Wars movies. You know, the the, the sequel trilogy, they kind of treated Han Solo mm-hmm. uh, and Luke mm-hmm. Skywalker in the same way, where they kind of just, <clears throat> they made him almost like nihilistic. Whereas it's just such a, um, a betrayal of their original characters. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, in, in the original trilogy, uh, even by the end, you know, Han Solo, while he starts off like um, gruff and, you know, solo, <laughs> kind of, a, mm-hmm. you know, the the the, um, the bad guy, good guy archetype. Um, at the end of the trilogy, you know, Luke, Han, Leia, they're all symbols of hope. Right. And, and you know, they've they've come together in this community and it ends on this yeah hopeful uh, note, whereas the right. sequel trilogy is just just like inverts that. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah, that's that's one of the big takeaways from Kenobi. On a technical level, it was just I found it boring. I just mm. found it really boring. Yeah, um, yeah. It was it was extremely okay. Extremely okay. You know, okay. It, was, you yeah. know it's yeah. like it wasn't too. You know, it wasn't the worst thing. Um, wasn't like the Last Jedi, but yep. it wasn't very uh, memorable. Yeah, you mm. know, there wasn't much. Yeah, and it just felt um, cheap, kind of in the way it was made. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because I was watching that while I was simul- simultaneously watching um, the new season of Stranger Things too, uh-huh. and st- like that season, season four of Stranger Things. You know, say what you want about it, but the cinematography is like excellent. Mm. The directing is excellent, acting mm-hmm. excellent. Um, there was a sense of drama that you felt with every scene, whereas this Kenobi series was just. It felt like it was like shot like you know by some college students. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting because yeah. I. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about that in terms of the Lord of the Rings, um, the original series. Uh, I think the budget was like $30 million for each mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And then like the Hobbit trilogy was like $100 million each. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. And it's like, 
this feels even though the Hobbit feels cheaper though. So this, it's obviously not it's not a budget thing. It's yeah. like some sort of I don't know attention to detail or quality. Like I don't know what it is, but you kind of feel that. I mean, yeah. like I don't know how yeah. what the budget was for Kenobi versus Mandalorian. Yeah, but Mandalorian was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I, I I mean, there's also um and like in connection with the Lord of the Rings um or uh, the original tri- trilogy and and the Hobbit um there was a clear um vision for from Peter Jackson uh with mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. the Hobbit um uh, there was a lot of um switching around that they did with directors mm. there wasn't a clear vision and i think disney is also struggling with that right now um you know you have john favreau um uh dave filoni yeah. um, they have a vision um they want to stay true to the original um whereas other creative minds uh at disney like kathleen kennedy and <clears throat> whoever else uh there's kind of a intellectual battle going mm. on um over what star wars is mm. and so growing up like star wars for me was like the story, you know, and I think that like a lot of millennials <laughs> can probably relate to that is like, you know, Star Wars was this story, you know, Luke Skywalker, quintessential archetype hero, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Darth Vader, um, perfect villain. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, to see that and then seeing how the next generation is handling that, um, I think it speaks to a, a larger issue yeah. um, over like, you know, what does it mean for... Um, a man to be a hero mm. what does it mean to say a story is good and i mean stories express the uh the mind of the culture and so right now i think currently there's a there's a battle in our storytelling uh like you know are we going to tell these more traditional traditional um you know stories uh archetypal stories uh which is the way i, th- I in my mind stories should be told or are we going to deconstruct? Right. And so, mm-hmm. like the the big issue uh, going back to Obi Wan was that you know you have this archetypal character of the wizard in Obi Wan. You know he kind of represents in a symbolic way the old way of storytelling. And so now the new way of storytelling is to well we can't have that. And so in the story itself they're trying to make him seem lesser. But then the problem is they don't know what to replace it with, yeah, right? right? And so yeah. they want to deconstruct without actually constructing something mm-hmm. else. Yeah. So that, I don't um, know. That's yeah. in my mind. I want to. Um, <clears throat> I want to sit on sit with that a little bit um, in terms of like what are those archetypes in Star Wars? Mm. Kind of talk about mm-hmm. elements in there that made the old ones so great, and why? Like why was why did why does that feel like it's a better film than the new ones? Yeah. 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 I, well, I, I think for for sure the new movies, you can point to the practical like scripts, acting, directing, and I think there's some validity there. But I think at a deeper, more unconscious level, they're not archetypal, mm-hmm. and that's why they they hit almost like this kind of discordant chord, right? Like this, it's chord. It, it seems like something is off. Yeah. The thing that is off is that they don't speak to an eternal pattern. Of how things are, they, it doesn't speak to the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the story of Luke Skywalker has been told before, and will be told later. Um, you know, Frodo, Luke Skywalker, um, Harry Potter, to a certain extent, mm-hmm. all tell that same archetypal story, and that's why they're so good. And that's why they endure. But what is going wrong with the new series is they're not adhering to those archetypes. The archetype of Luke Skywalker, the the wise wizard. Um, so the first and fundamental archetype I think Star Wars gets right in the old ones was the hero. 
right. like who the hero is and the pattern of the hero. Yeah. I think they, they, they actually understood that with, you know, someone like Ray, she has none of that. Mm. I mean, she has the kind of like the orphan motif and who, where are my parents where, you know, yeah. but it never gets resolved. Yeah, exactly. They're like never really, you know, it kind of, yeah, they yeah. don't tell that story very well. Um, like we don't know who your parents are, but we know who your grandfather is. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 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 You know, but she, you know, I think like a really basic definition of the hero for Jung is um, the person who overcomes obstacles and challenges to obtain a certain goal. Mm-hmm. So if you work with that definition and you look at Luke Skywalker versus Ray, what did Ray really overcome? Right. You know, like she, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that's yes. like just working with that mm-hmm. basic definition mm-hmm. archetype. Think of old movies and new movies. Yeah. I think um, where Luke Skywalker really um, uh, solidified his uh, uh, place in great heroes is at the end where he actually chooses not to kill Darth mm. Vader. And that's where everything leading up to that moment made sense. Because what you see in that moment, and you contrast this to Rey, um, which, you know, her end really didn't enlighten her journey. Mm-hmm. You know, in Luke Skywalker, in the last movie, uh, uh, Return of the Jedi, he defeats his father in a duel, and then he chooses not to kill him. And there's this this great intersection of where plot and the story and character all meet together right um and that's actually the i think one of the hallmarks of a perfect story is when you know the the plot like the details of the story uh the story itself of like the character's journey when those things intersect Mm -hmm. and they become one and in in this final moment he chooses not to kill darth vader and he tells the emperor i am a jedi like my father before me right and the whole idea of um, his journey for all three, all three movies was that he was becoming a Jedi, mm-hmm. and so he's only able to become a Jedi, as Yoda said, when he is able to confront his his father. Right. But then, he confronts his father in a way that Yoda could not predict, and actually is the way that led to the Emperor being killed. Right. Yeah. And, and good overcoming evil. And or so he did says, he? Or did he? <laughs> no. <laughs> I know. Exactly. I know. Exactly. Oh my gosh. But no. So this idea that, no, I'm actually redeeming my father. I, I've mm-hmm. confronted the evil of my father. Yeah. I saw that how that, how that can affect me. You know, like when he looks at his hand yeah. and he recognizes that he, you know, he's becoming like his father or there's mm-hmm. a tendency uh, to become like his father. But then he says, no, I am a Jedi remembering the good that his father did. I'm a Jedi like my father before me. And yeah. so, re- like, reserving yeah. the tradition of his father. And then yeah. that allows his father, right, the good that he redeemed to overcome the evil that mm-hmm. is oppressing him. Yeah, It's a fascinating... Um, because ultimately, Luke Skywalker does not kill the bad guy in the end. You know, we think of, like, oh, yeah. archetypal mm-hmm. hero, that means he defeated right. the bad guy. And neither does well, Frodo. Right, and mm-hmm. so... Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. That, and that's a really fascinating point, too, mm-hmm. that the hero doesn't necessarily overcome the villain with pure strength, right? It's actually something inside himself that he has to confront Mm -hmm. and then allow that uh, inner conversion or that inner um, insight to actually win the day. I want to contrast that with a scene previously 
um, in Empire Strike Back. I, I was I was thinking about this yeah, because I was thinking about because this. prior to understanding Jung and archetypes, um, <clears throat> insofar that I do, um, that scene in Empire Strike Back when um, Luke goes into the cave mm-hmm. and confronts Darth Vader, cuts off his head and reveals that it's himself. Yeah, yeah. such a weird scene. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, like what, like it's, it's just a yeah. random like five minute thing. And it's like, what will I find in there? And Yoda's like, only what you take with you. He's like, okay. And he goes in and sees it. And like, it never like resolves. Yoda wasn't like, that was a test or that yeah. was a robot. Like, yeah, yeah, what? Yeah. Yeah. it just goes to <laughs> yeah. like Cloud yeah. City. You know, yeah, like, yeah. what? <laughs> um, it really, it really does. It just cuts away. And yeah. yeah. And I have to remember, you have to think about watching that scene with fresh eyes. Like, hmm. you've never heard of Star Wars. You have no idea because. Everyone knows that Vader is Luke's father, right? Whether even if you hate Star Wars, yeah. So in that scene, if you're watching it and you see his face, it's like, oh, it's because it's his father. But remember, Luke didn't know that. Yeah, and neither did the That's audience. That's right. Yeah, yeah no yeah. one knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even James Earl Jones said he was like when he read the script, he was like, "This is a joke, right?" Like, <laughs> interesting. So it was like, I never thought about that. Actually. You had to like yeah. really think about <clears throat> when Luke looked because he has a weird look mm-hmm. on his face. Like, mm-hmm. what is this? Yeah. Like what? Like why? Why is that my face? Yeah. Is, you know. Yep. Um. But I want to. So I want to connect this scene to what you were just talking about at the end. Um, I rewatched it in preparation, and oh, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's it's such a weird scene because you know Luke's finishing training. He looks off and he sees something, and he goes, "You know, I feel cold. I I feel strange." And Yoda says, "You know that that cave is powerful with the dark side. It's the domain of evil." Mm. And Luke, you know, goes off into the cave, and you know he's about to put on his weapons. And Yoda tells him, you know, you don't, you won't need those. Don't mm-hmm. take, don't take those with you. And Luke kind of gives him this look like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cause you like, you just, yeah, right. you just, it's the domain of evil. Of course I'm going to yeah. take my weapons yeah. with me. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that he said, don't take those weapons. And what does he do? He confronts Vader, shadow Vader with violence. Yeah. And then he sees his face in Vader. Return of the Jedi. He doesn't defeat Vader with a weapon. Yeah. Act, like, you know, he kind of gets him down. Yeah. And then, like, in that moment, remember, he raises his lightsaber and yeah. he looks down, he sees his missing hand, and then he looks at his hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's another connection of yeah, yeah. this, we're the same. That's the same exact yeah. moment again. A- exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's the same moment yeah. again, you know, as, as George Lucas always says. It's like poetry. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it, it rhymes. You know? It's become a meme, but at the same time, <laughs> yeah. there is something there. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. He, I mean, he sees, you know, and it, it realizes, and that's when he turns off his lightsaber. Mm-hmm. It's because yeah. that's actually what he was, like, what was he supposed to do the first time? And this yeah. comes to a little bit right. of a union archetype. With integration of the shadow, it's supposed to be a taming and a diplomatic nature. That's what mm. that's what Jung says. Mm. It's a, it's a way to you diplomatically like integrate it with yourself, right? And Whereas, I, yeah, you don't use violence, right? But Luke did, yeah, right. And that's the second time he doesn't. And right. if he had killed Vader uh, at the end of Episode Six, he would have just like the Emperor said, he would have taken his place at the at the Emperor's side. Yeah, and he would have been totally evil, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's that perfect balancing, and this is what it means for like the the um, the trope to rescue your father from the underworld. Yeah, I was gonna say you just gave a homily on this recently, right? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and you know what I what I gather gather from that trope, you know, to rescue your father from the underworld is that you preserve what is good from your past, and yet you still go beyond it, right? Uh, you you still um, essentially honor the legacy of your past while yourself going beyond it and becoming a hero. And that's what Luke does. Like, he reforms the Jedi Order, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a new order, right? It's not exactly mm-hmm. the same, right? And right. so he preserves, you know, the Jedi that was his father, mm-hmm. 
but then actually goes beyond it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's that's the archetype of the hero, that he, he doesn't just stay with the past, um, but actually moves beyond it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah. Yeah. Something that was interesting in that scene was that, like, when he goes into that cave, um, the elements there, there are snakes and lizards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, exclusively. There's no, yeah. like, I, I watched that scene again. Um, to make sure, but there's no like aliens like flying over or whatever. And it's you would like, think in Star yeah, Wars that like, like, where's the little alien that comes right, out? Yeah, the yeah. Side? Exactly. One, one of them is just like straight up an iguana. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like you know, Komodo dragons. Yeah, you know. they just yeah. went to a pet store and just like you know, <laughs> they bought all the reptiles. That's <laughs> literally what they did. Yeah, yeah. it's it's super interesting because again, it's like such an odd scene. Um, but that cave representing that that kind of chaos, the unknown mm-hmm. that Luke has to go into. Yeah, and then to find his father there, which is the part of himself that he has to integrate. So to your point about um, needing to kind of integrate the past and doing it in a in a type of nonviolent way, like you were talking about, Lee, um, there's that um, alchemical principle that uh, Peterson talks about about salve et coagula, right? Dissolve and integrate. Yeah. So it's it's you you wrestle with those things in your past that that you're either struggling with or that you have to confront, and then you integrate the good and dissolve the rest, and right. then you you move forward as a whole person. So that's kind of how yeah. the return of the Jedi kind of brings that because you have these like opposing forces of like Jedi and Sith. And it's like the whole idea of the chosen one was that he was going to bring balance. Mm-hmm. So a kind of integration of both. Yeah. And you see that in the final fight with Luke and Vader, where he's like looking for him in the darkness again. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, Luke is hiding from Vader. He's like, I will not fight you. Um, and he's prompting him, and he says, maybe your sister will turn. And yeah. then it's from that that Luke garners up a type of right anger to defeat Vader. Mm-hmm. And so he's actually integrated what like Palpatine and Vader have been telling him the whole time. It's like, use your anger. Use your anger. Yeah. And that's how you become a Sith. But he actually mm-hmm. used that and integrated it in a type of way that defeated evil. Right. Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I love the duality of the, um, the cinematography of like the shadow and the light, you know, like, Oh my gosh, the best scene. Luke is, you know, struggling there and he's perfectly cut in half by the light. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the imagery there is powerful, but I want to, um, just connect my original point to, you know, the end of return of the Jedi and contrasting that to the end of the sequel trilogy where Ray essentially just defeats Palpatine with two lightsabers yeah. and lightning. And it's like... His own lightning. Yeah, so, as a, like once again, so, his own lightning for the third time. Yeah, yeah for the third time. <laughs> Did you learn, buddy? <laughs> right. Like, his lightning rod guy. Yeah. But um, yeah, so this idea that like there was no... Um, the story and plot were not really um, working together. It was mm-hmm. just this idea that like, well, and then she defeats the bad guy, right? And yeah. so, yeah, I guess it works on an entertainment level, maybe. But as a story that touches us on a like a, a deeper level, yeah, um, it's not gonna. It doesn't really last. Mm-hmm. It doesn't endure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and connecting that to with Lord of the Rings, you know, you mentioned Frodo. Uh, the same idea we see on display, uh, whereas it's Frodo, Frodo's pity of not killing Gollum, that allows Gollum then to act as a piece that saves the day. Yeah, right. Uh, and so both both. Luke and Frodo actually show pity to their enemies. Yeah, actually to their shadow. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Because Vader is who Luke can become, mm-hmm. and and Gollum is who Frodo can, mm-hmm. who who he can become. Mm-hmm. And instead of just outright saying no, I'm like I'm just going to kill this entirely. Um, there's a sense of well, 
like struggling with it and wrestling with it, like yep. you said. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, and then then how that that wasn't just a little like, um, little arc of Frodo, and his development. Like mm-hmm. this was this was actually the catalyst to the whole plot and right. to the redemption yeah. of the cosmos per se. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like it's that was that's how you got that like personal story and then the 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 plot how they meet together. Yeah. It's like in that personal, um, like pitying, he saved the world. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And uh, and we see this in episode four too, right? That's the idea that uh, you you know he uses the force, right? Um, Use the force, Luke. Let go. Mm-hmm. Turns off his targeting computer, and then is able to destroy the Death Star. Um, you know that leap of faith, mm-hmm. um, right? Like going into the unknown, uh, not relying on the material. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then mm-hmm. and then that's what's able to overcome evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a. I think episode four actually probably epitomizes that intersection of plot and story, like perfectly. Yeah, um, I, it works obviously in, in um, Return of the Jedi. It's there, but it's just it's very simplified in episode four, and it's just like oh, that's that's good storytelling mm-hmm. right there. You know, um, that's how you make yeah. a good movie. So, yeah, I, I just mm-hmm. and I, I struggled to find that in the the Disney era of Star Wars. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Well, they understand. they um they don't understand archetypes. No, you know, yeah. um, archetypes are it, there's something that you have to conform to, you know, um, and if you don't like what the archetype symbolizes, then you're going to try to do it another way. But again, that's, it's going to be discordant with yeah. like yeah. Which, which, with, with what you know deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me, I saw that especially in Ray because Luke, Luke is he's the quintessential hero, so he fails. Like you know, his, his, confront, his confrontation with Vader in the cave is a failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he and, did, uh, yeah. And, and episode five for for Luke is ultimately a big movie about his failure. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? It's 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 all it's all like you know failure other than kind of stacking some rocks at right. one point. You know, yeah. he's like he doesn't really do a great job. Can't pull up the X wing. Can't save his friends. Right. His mm-hmm. friends have to save him. Right. You know, he's left like um, you know castrated. You know, yeah. almost uh, You're right. uh, at the end of the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, no hand and like lost his lightsaber. It's like you know. Where's yeah. the hero here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But you know, by the end, he is triumphant and and everything. But it's like that that speaks to because the hero is supposed to speak to the person. Like he's he's a collective um, projection right. of, of humanity and like yeah. what we all know to be true. Yeah. Um. So when you see someone fail and triumph, you you kind of see like, oh yeah, that's me. Like mm-hmm. I, I like that happens yeah. to me. Right. Whereas like Ray. Yeah, what is it? <laughs> it's like it, she's good at everything from the get go, and it's like, has anyone ever experienced that? Yeah. And then there's like <laughs> scenes like in the last one where like she meets her like shadow figure, yeah. and it's like for a brief second, it's like, what is this? Like the directors are like, you know, oh, this happens in the other ones. We'll just put it in here. It's like you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> well, I think yeah, it's, like, yeah exactly. Yeah. No, it's really true. It's like you, like you, you kind of get it, the archetype, yeah. but you don't know actually how to like put it into picture because yeah, like right. she sees herself. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like, and it's like your parents are you, and it's yeah, like, whoa, yeah. Uh-huh. you know, and and then yeah, like they, then there's like that old woman at the end and everything. It's like uh, the shadow self. Yeah. Sorry, um, it's like, well, you're like, almost there, yeah, but like yeah, but yeah. it's not yeah. nearly right. the same. Yeah, yeah. like shadow self for what? Why? Right. Like, what's her right. development? Exactly. Like, they're right. just thrown in there. Like, the fans like this. This showed up in the right. last one. Well, right. I think it's also like, um, you know, they are trying to be storytellers, and so I think they're they recognize like, well, this was in the old one, and it was good. So jam it in there while they're trying to do their own thing, yeah. and it's just—it's a hodgepodge of yeah. you know—it's yeah. it's a mess. It's a mess. I wanna—I wanna come back to this in a second, but I wanna um, talk about something related to the uh, rescuing your father 
archetype. Because um, there's, an, there's an aspect of having to uh, kind of confront the bad elements um, in the shadows. But then there's also the idea that there's like a benevolent father that you confront mm-hmm. in the shadow. Um, mm. And so you see that in The Lion King where you have Simba struggling with courage, right? And so he oscillates between um, like rashness and cowardice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I, and then, you know, Mufasa saying like, I'm only brave when I have to be. So he's like trying to explain to him, you don't have to be rash. And then, and then his father dies and then he goes with Timon and Pumbaa and is like a coward. Yeah. yeah. And it's until the woman comes and is like, hey, you have a kingdom to run. Yeah. The beauty um, calling out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Calling Same out. thing. The yeah. muses. Yeah. Um, but then he goes into a type of cave area, like the scene where he's going underneath the tree roots and stuff. It's yeah. very similar to Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes to the, the, the puddle of water and sees his reflection. Same mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. then his father appears and tells him, remember who you are. Um, so... John and I have spoke about this. Um, our sister, Elisa, has also spoke about this in terms of the idea of anamnesis. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that relates to what Plato says about anamnesis? Yeah. Um, from my understanding, uh, the, the idea of anamnesis is uh, remembering as a form of knowledge. Uh, remembering as a form of knowledge. Uh, and so Plato's idea is that, you know, People are not. People don't come to knowledge by uh, an exterior uh, imposition, right? Where if I just tell you the truth and you memorize it, then you have knowledge, right? Um, that's what he would call true opinion. Well, doesn't um, it start? It he starts off with saying like, how do we know what virtue is? You know, what I'm saying that like how do, like but how do we know no yeah. no no? Like you go all the way back down. It's like but how do right. we how do we distinguish whether a courageous man is courageous or not? Mm-hmm. All the way back down to like well. Is it intuition or just some sort of anamnesis? Yeah, and it's yeah, exactly. And so it's because uh, Plato's idea is that like you know when we are born, we are essentially uh, uh, like cut off from our source, which is immaterial, mm-hmm. the good, and we have to kind of remember our way back to the good. Uh, and so, and, and this is what you see in uh, uh, Plato's uh, and yeah, Plato's dialogues. Socrates never tells somebody. Um, this is what virtue is, or, you know, this is what it means to be a good man. Uh, he asks them questions, and he actually gets them to come to a knowledge, and he's drawing it out of them. That's why he considers himself a midwife. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm giving birth to uh, the knowledge that is within you. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, in his idea, it's, it's remembering uh, who we were before being trapped in our bodies, essentially. Right. Yep. It's, you know, in that sense, it's a little dualistic, but mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of um, value in that idea of remembering, right? And and so for Simba, you know, connecting it to uh, the Lion King, uh, it's so important that it's his father that tells him, remember who you are. Right. It's not Rafiki or it's mm-hmm. not another person saying, yep. hey, you got to remember. Mm-hmm. Like, it has to be his father. Yep. Because the father is the is the representation of his past. Right. Uh, it's everything. It's, it's like the yeah. one who calls out from the mother to mm-hmm. go yep. on the journey yep. to... Like your your literal connection yeah. to who yourself is, and you have. I mean, it's this like that's a very similar idea to Genesis, when Abraham, God calls Abraham out of his country. He says, "Go, uh, leave your country, and leave the land of your fathers." Mm. Uh, but it's God the Father, interestingly right. yeah, yeah, yeah. enough, um, calling him out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so 
I think there's a similar motif yeah. there. Um, yeah, and, and so. then in terms of the lineage, like as we move on in history, obviously fathers beget more children and they beget more children. Yeah. And so that whole idea of what Plato was talking about, but re- returning back, yeah. Yeah. that's remembering who you are. Yeah. Remember your lineage, salve et coagula, integrate yeah. the father. That whole thing is like that returning back yeah. essentially to Eden and that, that idea of that union. Right. And, and I mean... You know, not to go too off topic with this idea of anamnesis, but uh, you know, as Catholics, um, as a priest, the 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 most important thing I do is actually an act of remembrance <laughs> at the mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Traditionally, the the liturgy of the Eucharist, right, the the part where um, the bread and the wine are consecrated to the body and blood of Christ, that's traditionally known as anamnesis. That part yeah. of the liturgy is literally known as anamnesis, and those the most important words right in the mass do this in memory of me mm-hmm. and so we are in a sense like you said we're like you know we're the children of the um you know of the of our forefathers who came before us even in our faith yep. right that all the way back we remember the act of god mm-hmm. and how he has saved us right and then in a very real way it's not it's it's not just remembering as a um, nice sentimental idea but at the mass, we actually—it's—it's it's actually anamnesis in a perfect way that we remember uh, a, a, and know. It's, it's not just remembering as a, a sentimentality, but it's actually a knowledge mm-hmm. because it's made present now, mm-hmm. right? The, so the Eucharist is exactly the same. It's the same sacrifice as what happened on Calvary, and it's made present for us now, right? Uh, and so we are able to know firsthand that saving act yep. of God. Yeah, um, so that that's kind of actually where I want to go with this because um, the idea that anamnesis in the Eucharist is a type of remembrance of the crucifixion. Yeah. Like, why is that the most important thing? And kind of pulling that apart. I was thinking about the word remember, and it actually has that, the, the kind of two words, remember. So it's like to bring together again. Yeah. Um, and so there's this idea that Christ brings everything together into a new creation mm-hmm. on the cross. Yeah. Um, and so when, when he says, do this in remembrance of me, that is the Calvary moment yeah. of when he redeems the world and creates a new creation. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we um, remember who we are, we come to Mass and remember the world yeah. So like right. put it back together into a new creation through Christ. Yeah. Um, and then live in that new body of Christ. Right, right. You know? Exactly. And you know, remembering your own past on a personal level, you are uh essentially regathering mm-hmm. uh all the good that came before you, and then you are able to move forward in the future with that um unity. And this is why at, at Mass too, after the act of remembrance, we have communion mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep. that, yep. Yeah, that mm-hmm. unity in communion in Christ. We're all made one in Christ. Yep. Um, the mass is essentially an eschatological um, action mm-hmm. where it's like, we're, this is what the end of time will look like is uh, this massive unity in mm-hmm. one. And that's why we say the mass is the act where um, divinity and humanity are reconciled. There's no longer a division, a dismembering, yep. the opposite of mm-hmm. remembering, mm-hmm. Um, but rather a, an, uh, an ultra unity yep. <laughs> as yep. it were. So, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah the, it's um, all there. Bringing it from, like, a cosmological view, like, wow, like, Christ unifies the world, and that's amazing. In terms of the personal, um, like, back to, like, Simba, 
when when um, Mufasa says, "Remember who you are," and in essence, he's he's telling him to remember the parts of himself that have been scattered, mm-hmm. um, and to and to unify it into one telos. Um, yeah. This way that you're you're properly oriented, and then and then you function in the world properly. Um, I wanted to read you guys a quote um, as I was thinking about this. Uh, there's a quote from Chesterton from Orthodoxy, um, and I'll tie it in after I'm done reading it. Um, he says, the modern world is not evil. In some ways, the modern world is far too good. It is full of wild and wasted virtues. When a religious scheme is scattered, it is not merely the vices that are let loose. The vices are indeed let loose as they wander and do damage, but the virtues are let loose also, and the virtues wander more wildly, and the virtues do more terrible damage. The modern world is full of old Christian virtues gone mad. The virtues have gone mad because they have been isolated from each other and are wandering alone. Thus, some scientists care for truth, and their truth is pitiless. And thus, some humanitarians only care for pity, and their pity is often untruthful. Hmm. Um, so they, the idea that hmm. like we live in this post-Christian world where we've like kind of pulled things like charity and care for the poor and justice and, and just kind of isolated them, yeah. um, almost like headless creatures that have just like no orientation. Yeah. And so like, like your virtue itself without the proper context can do more damage than the vice. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so then, so the idea of remembering yeah. is to bring together all the things yeah. under the framework of Christ who redeems the world. And it's only through the, the life of the church, through a Christian framework that we can actually perpetuate goodness into mm-hmm. the world yeah. without having it go awry. You know, like Marx has points about work yeah, and and the abuse of um, like hypercapitalism. Yeah, but without the understanding of that we're more than just an economic being, then you lose the whole picture. Right, and so it's it's that yeah. idea of remembering, of bringing together that on an individual level we come to understand that's like uh, this is why we go to church. Yeah, it's to enter into communion, into the life of the church that has everything in the right context. Yeah, um, and that goes you know that's that's what Star Wars is about. That's what Lion King is about. Yeah. It's, it's all about <laughs> that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. integrating the whole. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think um, I think it's maybe Baron. He has a, an idea of Christianity in the modern world as like a cathedral that's been blown up mm. or something like that. And you know, like there's pieces of it everywhere. Yeah, and like people are kind of picking it up and they're and they have piece of the truth or a piece of knowledge, piece of faith, but they don't really know how it fits right. all back together. They just have one one or two pieces. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that definitely is like these virtues. Mm-hmm. Chesterton talks about it's, yep. like, it's you know I think right now one of our highest virtues is compassion and empathy which mm-hmm. is good it's good to be compassionate it's good to be yep. empathetic yep but when it's unmoored from truth what does yep. it become yeah you know a, a true yep. charity what does it become yeah mm-hmm. um, so we're still kind of living off these pieces but it really only makes sense in one area like so when you re, when you reassemble it all yeah in um, in the church and then you see that you know kind of the complexities of um, Catholic social teaching Yep. You know, yep, it's, yep. it's hard to fit mm-hmm. it because it doesn't fit into a frame and because mm-hmm. it, it is balancing several virtues at once. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. It, yeah, it is in the mystical body that it all, all the virtues yeah. start to fit. Yeah. And it, it's too complicated uh, to try to figure out all those details mm-hmm. for everybody to like, okay, well, you have to balance this and you have to balance that and you have to balance this. Here's the, the complexity of the human person. Yeah. Um, and it's under the like fractal pattern of ritual and worship that mm-hmm. like if you live in the life of christ if you live in his body then 
you start to see intuitively yeah. how all these things fit. And mm-hmm. that's the definition of, uh, definition of wisdom, at least for Aristotle, is seeing how um, a single piece fits into the whole, right? Uh, and so being able to see the whole and see how these individual good things um, are able to, you know, the, the, it's kind of a puzzle piece into the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ultimately, uh, any evil that we encounter in the world uh, there's still a hint of some good in it. Um, you know, no, nobody can actually uh, desire something that is um, purely 100% evil. There has to be some perceived good in what they're chasing, right? And so uh, I, I think that just goes to your point that, um, you know, it's just uh, any evils that we're encountering, all the disunity, uh, that's just, um, it's a fracturing of um, the, the unifying virtues and the unifying yep. um, good yep. that we find mm-hmm. in the world. So, yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, all right, back to why Star Wars, the new ones, suck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a favorite topic of mine. <laughs> Bring us back on track here. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. Authenticity. Um, I want to play. I want to see if I can play this uh, through the system here. I want to play you a clip from... Um, the Bishop Baron was on Lex Friedman's podcast uh, last week, and there's a clip I want to play, two of them that I want to play for you guys um, in terms of the idea of authenticity and then how that fits with Star Wars and, mm-hmm. and, and such. Hmm. Um, let's see here. I think I'd say find something you're good at. Because that's from God. It's a gift that God's given you. And then dedicate it to love. You know what I'm saying? So you're, you're good at science or math or, or sports or whatever. Okay, I'm going to use that now for my aggrandizement, for my wealth, for my privileges and to become famous. No, no, no. Don't. Find what you're good at, but now dedicate it to willing the good of the other. So use your science and use your mathematics and use your sports and use your musicianship to, to benefit the world, you know? Um, that's what I'd say to them. So find what you're good at. That's, that's from well, God. That's a tricky one, finding what you're good at, what, because it's not just raw skill. It's also what you connect with. Yeah. And it's also um, like this iterative process of, if you want to add love to the world, you have to see how can you be effective at doing that. So it's not just the things you're good at. There's like... There's, you know, I'm good at building bridges out of toothpicks. I'm not exactly sure that's going to be useful for the world. Then again, to push back on that, the the joy brings me, maybe somehow the joy radiates out. Yeah, well, so he's asking him, um, uh, Lex Friedman was asking Bishop Barron, like, what advice do you have to young kids and such? Mm -hmm. Um, And so he posits, like, find what you're good at uh, and then, like, point it towards uh, benefiting society. Yeah. So, but the question could be made, I mean, Lex kind of alludes to this, but it's like, what if Kathleen Kennedy was like, I'm good at directing mm-hmm. and I think this benefit, I think it's beneficial. Is she for, though? <laughs> that's, that's my question. Yeah. That's my question. Right. Like to her, she's like, I took Bishop Barron's advice and I found what I'm good yeah. at. And I right. think I'm good at this. And I think that this is going to benefit society Yeah. Uh, to tell this type of story mm-hmm. in this way and disregard, you know, any type of like archetype, any knowledge of whatever. Yeah. So like, where is that? Where does that come from, and how do how does that balance? How do we find the like why why 
Why is that wrong? Well, I think in this specific case, um, for the new Star Wars movies, there's clearly an agenda that's going on to push a certain kind of story, which already dilutes the art. But can you argue that, like, if George Lucas... George Lucas wants to tell a certain type of story. Yeah, but he... I, I would say that George Lucas was telling a a certain type of story not for an agenda, but rather to just say this is what, like, makes stories good, right? And so, like, you know, to use another example, let's just say a, you know, a, a modern um, explicitly Christian movie, right? Like, God's Not Dead. Um, those directors were being authentic on one level of saying this is what I believe to be true, but then not authentic in another way of telling a story that actually has uh, that is true. They forgot that they um, have to also know how to make movies. Well, or, or like, or actually how human beings interact with each other, right? Yeah. Um, like the truth. <laughs> I know that sounds like a really damning um, accusation, but no, but it's same, so it's true. Accurate. It's so true. But at the same time, like, you, like you know, what does it mean to actually be authentic in a portrayal of uh, of a certain story? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that there is a sense of dishonesty uh, when. Uh, on both, like you know, the modern Christian movies or the modern Star Wars movies, that um, they're so obsessed with their agenda that they're not seeing the whole picture. Again, wisdom, yeah, but can you right? can you say, like, can you like sit Kathleen Kennedy down and be like, you're lying to yourself? <laughs> you know, like, no, you're not going to convince her to do that. Like, no. we can look at that from outside no. and be like, you see how this doesn't fit. Yeah. But what is her, what is her aha moment that she realizes that she, like, she thinks she's being authentic. She yeah. thinks that she's being like she might not think that she has an agenda. It's like, but actually, you do. But mm -hmm. she's saying she doesn't. So who's 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 to say that that's right or yeah. wrong? Well, I guess that gets to, to the question: of like, what is true authenticity? Yeah. What is uh, truth? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's kind of yeah. what I'm getting to. Yeah, because I think that, um, you know, while she might admit, like, well, no, I'm being authentic in the way I make movies. You know, this is really presumptuous, but I would say, like, well, do some more introspection. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> I you don't, don't know. know anything. <laughs> no, no, it's not that you don't know anything, <laughs> but this idea that like you know, what 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 differentiates like good art, you know, um, like good uh, a good portrayal of a human experience. Yeah. Um, then uh, you know what separates that from just um, propaganda, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that's the question: What is good art? What is propaganda? Yeah. What separates those two? Yeah. Um, I, I would like to say that you know it's like you should know by the, the fruit of this movie whether yeah. or not it's good. But the, I mean, but that's a, that's kind of a tough argument to make because all mm -hmm. the movies did really well. Yeah. Like, fina right. like financially yeah. speaking, mm -hmm. they did really well. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, what do you mean? Like, yeah. the fruit, I'm making this out of money. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, but yeah. I would, you know, maybe hope it's like, okay, but look, maybe what fans are saying mm -hmm. besides the toxic fans or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, like, what are they saying? And they all seem to be pretty upset with how you're portraying these characters. Mm. And it's like, why that is? Well, like, yeah. why is that? I mean, you kind of hope maybe if you could get her to watch it. It's like, who, who do you know that's like Ray? Do you know anyone like Ray? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that like everything right. they touch turns to gold. <laughs> it's like, no, right. oh, you don't know anyone like that? It's like, oh, okay, well, yeah. what does that say about this character? Yeah. Right. You know, like this, like you, you talked about, yeah. you know, adhering to some sort of reality. It's like, well, mm -hmm. this isn't real. Yep. I mean, I know what we're talking about a fantasy universe. Yeah, yeah, no, right. Yeah. But like yeah. the human, the thing is, the human human nature and human condition and everything like that should remain relatively stable. Yes. Even yeah. even if See, it was okay. in the future. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly. exactly what I'm getting to. In that, like, there has to be a recognition of a reality outside yourself mm -hmm. that you conform to. 
Yeah. And that's right. what Lucas is doing. He's like, these archetypes are not me. These exist mm-hmm. outside of me. Well, yeah. in me as well, but like the concepts and the, and the things I'm trying to say yeah. are a yeah. thing I receive. Yeah. Even, right. I mean, even all the way down to the small levels of like cinematography. You know, videographers right. have to receive the art of cinematography. Yeah. And, then, and they don't say like, I'm just going to do it my way. First, you know the rule, then you can solve it at coagula, you know, like yeah. all the, so all, it's, it's all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was, I was hoping we'd get there about this idea of um, being authentic to what. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, I was going to play you this clip of Baron kind of talking about it in response when Lex uh, pushes back. Uh, let me see. But it's, it's tricky. And if we don't have moral mentors and intellectual mentors, it becomes hard. And if you tell a kid, that's deadly to me, just decide for yourself, just, you know, just off you go and, and uh, you make your own choices. Now you gotta, your, your, your choice has to be disciplined and your desire has got to be directed, you know, then you're, you'll find your creative path. Everyone does it in its own way, but it's, it's a guided uh, choice. Your freedom is not sovereign. It's a, it's a guided freedom. Your freedom is not sovereign. Yeah. So essentially, he's also saying your authenticity is not sovereign. Yeah. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like authenticity to what? Mm-hmm. You first receive yeah. the reality outside you, and then you become authentic. That's that's um, Augustine's like love and do without will. Yeah. You know what I'm saying first, seek ye first the kingdom. Yeah. And then all these things will come to you. Yeah. That's the same concept. Right. And and that's really um, that is a fundamental principle for any good story. Uh, and I mentioned this in a homily. I don't know, over a month ago, but that the idea that as human beings, we receive more than we take. Mm. We receive more more than we take. And, you know, in any good story, you look at the hero and they are, their, their journey begins not by them grasping at what they want, but actually responding to what has happened to them. Mm-hmm. And usually it's a tragedy, right? Their village burned down or Luke Skywalker's uncle and aunt were killed, right? Uh, you know, Frodo uh, is given the ring, right? He's, he doesn't take it for himself. Um, that's the, the defining mark of the hero is that he first receives or, yeah, receives the, the environment that he found himself mm-hmm. in and then he responds accordingly. Right. And then you contrast that with um, the villain, who is typically a foil of the hero. And the villain is always trying to create his own dominion, right? He's Mm -hmm. trying to impose his power. He's trying to take what he wants. Uh, And so that idea of receptivity Mm -hmm. uh, in a hero is so important uh, versus, or or, yeah, um, versus that idea of of taking um, for yourself. There's something that um, Peugeot mentioned in an interview he did about uh, art, because uh, I've always thought that like modern art, the common trope is like, that's not art. Mm-hmm. But he kind of pushed back on that. It was like, it is art, but it's idiosyncratic. Mm, yeah. And so the idea is that every, all these expressions, all these creative expressions are art, but what makes them good or not is insofar as that they participate in reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm throwing paint on a wall and it's blotches and whatever. It's like That's just an idiosyncratic expression of yourself without any kind of telos or um, kind of, you know, orientation towards a reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that is an art, but it's a lower art that just becomes like nothing. Right. Once it becomes that idiosyncratic. Right. Um, 
Yeah, so that's why that's why I feel like that distinction of like what made the new Star Wars is so bad. It's like it's because they became idiosyncratic of Kathleen Kennedy. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, to, to put it largely. Yeah, but I also think that um, again, like it did feel like um, it was trying to express the mores um, or the yeah the, the feelings of the current culture. That's mm. the thing, is that it was so yeah. obsessed with expressing this is what we're going through right now. Yeah. Whereas George Lucas explicitly said in multiple interviews, like, I wanted to tell a story that is everlasting. Mm-hmm. And he said, like, well, archetypal. if these are yeah. archetypal, archetypes are everlasting. Thank you. Thank you. Like, yeah. that's, and so, like, you know, he even said, like, if these, you know, kinds of stories were important, you know, thousands of years ago, well, why are they still important today? Yeah. And that's what makes an enduring classic. Yeah. Um, versus, well, you know, it's, it's trendy to deconstruct. So let's deconstruct. Right, you're not mm-hmm. touching on something deeper and right. everlasting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was yeah. talking about the new um, Lord of the Rings uh, series coming out on Amazon mm-hmm. with a friend of mine, and he sent me these two contrasting quotes. Um, one was from the one of the producers on the new series, and then one was from uh, Peter Jackson. Peter yeah. Jackson, yeah. Thank you. Um, so the the this producer from the new series said um, it only felt natural to us that an adaptation of Tolkien's work would reflect what the world would actually look like today. Hmm. So it's like, okay, that's, yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're talking about. And then contrast that with uh, Peter Jackson's quote. He says, there are certain themes Tolkien felt were important. We made a promise to ourselves at the beginning of the process that we weren't going to put any of our own politics or our own messages or our own themes into these movies. What we were trying to do was to analyze what was important to Tolkien and try to honor that. In a way, we were trying to make these films for him and not for ourselves. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's recognition of the father. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying that's a mm-hmm. that's a type of remembering. Yeah, yeah, that's a good um, point. Right. And so, so the even the idea of understanding, you know, what I'm saying you don't understand these archetypes, you don't understand filmmaking, you don't understand storytelling. The the word itself is to understand or to stand under. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. it's like you you look up at these things yeah. and then you respond. Right. And so anything else is a type of tower of Babel, a type of just like uh, satanic per se, in the sense of like a, an absolute pride of like, I will be mm. everything. Yeah. Uh, who is like God as St. Michael responds. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's like, mm. I will just do what I want in my own idiosyncratic way without uh, an acknowledgement of, of reality. Outside yeah. Yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. There's a few problems with the, the modern hero is, um, there's a certain extent to which the hero is cultural, cultural, mm-hmm. like it. He comes from the current culture, um, archetypes, as you would say, are um, ancient beyond belief, but ever new, mm. because they they're reborn with each era, but then yeah. don't die with that era. So there is a sense in which the heroes have to be a reflection of the current culture, um, but then there's a sense in which they don't. Because I mean, Luke Skywalker, Frodo, yeah. The, the, I mean, there's no cult, there's no culture of which mm-hmm. they exist today, but yet there's something uh, like a transcendent principle that he participates in, and so do you yeah. mm-hmm. participate in. Um, so I think we're kind of stuck because if we want to make heroes that reflect the culture, it's like, well, no one can agree what that is. Yeah, well, that's a good you know, answer, like right? some yeah. people think that the, you know the culture hero is you know um, Captain America. Yeah, you know, like right, yeah. and then another is anti Captain America. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. you, the you have the show, the show, the boys. I mean, they're sort yeah. of like nihilistic heroes mm-hmm. because that kind of reflects the culture. Yeah. yeah. But yep, that yep. isn't really inspiring. So I guess, I guess uh, there's a sense though that I think if we wanted to make movies now, it, it's like the hero doesn't necessarily reflect what the culture is, but what it could be. 
Mm. If that makes yeah. sense. Like, you know, like kind of like point to maybe an ideal yeah, to which yeah. the hero could mm-hmm. be. Yeah. yeah. But well, even then. Peterson talks that? about the idea of fiction being this kind of like dissolving, um, uh, like saturated version of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you kind of remove all the elements of history as they happen in time and then you boil it down to something something like fiction. Yeah. Um, and, you, and so it's an acknowledgement, again, of eternal principles, eternal patterns mm-hmm. that you're receiving like these yeah. like arch- like what does Jung say about archetypes and that like we will never know what they are oh yeah we yeah, um that we have no idea um well there's there we have no idea where they came from mm-hmm. the origin is you know metaphysical um although he believes that it originated from two people like an adam mm-hmm. and eve thing but anyway. interesting um yeah, but yeah. but it, it's true the archetype the archetype per se in in itself we have no idea what it is so we right. have no idea who the hero is right but that yeah there is a hero yeah. pattern. And then, but, so you yeah. contrast that with like, you could say that these eternal patterns are like the ultimate father, mm-hmm. God, the father. Yeah. And then you, and then you add on top of that when Christ says, no one knows the father except through me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's again, it's in the life of Christ. It's in remembering in a participation um, that we actually discover these eternal patterns mm-hmm. that we receive and then that we live out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like that, that's, that's how movies are made, but that's also how your life is lived. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think um, Peterson's, Quote, I remember, I think it was in the um, biblical lecture series where he mentioned um, this idea of fiction and stories. Uh, he was saying that uh, in some ways, stories are more true than reality itself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the idea, and, and I think this is what it, rela- it relates to what we're talking about, that uh, any good story worth its salt is going to say something true about human nature, right? Mm-hmm. And But human nature is universal all the way back to, you know, our ancestors going back as far as you want to go back and... Our generations to come yep but so things like hope and love freedom those are all universal but then it comes to the point of wrapping it in a story that is unique because it's written or or, or um, directed by an artist who can see that in a new way right mm-hmm. uh, and so it's like yes you're talking about hope or freedom or all these universal human um, uh, things but then what do you, like, how do you express it, right? Yeah. And that's, I think, where authenticity really takes place, mm-hmm. is that, like, I experience love just like millions of other people ex- experience love. But what do I have to say about it personally um, that will make other people want to listen as well? Right. Um, or, yeah. or, or that is artful, right? And, and that's, I think that's what true authenticity in art means, mm-hmm. is experiencing these human conditions, the human condition, you know, and, and then speaking it in your own way in this artistic way yep. Um, yeah. so yeah um anything else you guys want to edit before we close it up there was a lot of things that i wanted to mention but i we just didn't get there but that, i guess that's uh for future episodes so yeah, we, we have time <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah we do um let's see so social media shout outs um you guys can follow us on um basically related podcast that's on Instagram, uh, YouTube. If you just uh, search that on YouTube, um, we also have a uh, premium member tier. Uh, if you guys go to basically related podcast.supercast.com, you can sign up for $5 a month, ask us like, a question. And then every, at the end of every month, we'll be putting out a question and answer um, episode that's exclusive to the, the people who signed up. Um, and you guys want to plug your social media? I'm at sure. Matt Hylum everywhere. 
You guys have anything? Yeah. I uh, well, I guess just Instagram yeah. at Coach Lieb. Heck yeah. Um, should be Leapy, but, <laughs> but nobody says that. Coach Lieb. Yep. And I'm in the process of getting my Instagram page uh, That's cool. up. Yeah, I don't really yep. use social, social media as much as maybe Good I should. I don't know. No, no, no. Stay away. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.